Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you all here this morning. And I'm so thankful that all of you made it here safely on this chilly November morning because we know in Chicago, the winter is rapidly approaching us. So I'm glad that you guys all made it here safely. And it's good to see all of you this morning. Well, for those of you who don't know me, um, as Robbie said, my name is David Kuntz, and I have the privilege of serving as the Interim Director for Youth Ministries, which we call DOCS here at Evanston Bible Fellowship. My fiance Katie, and I have been attending and serving here for just over two months, and I know that I can speak on behalf of both of us and say that we are so thankful for how we have been so graciously welcomed into the family here at EBF. So for those of you who Katie and I have not met yet, we would love to meet you down the lobby after the service um, today. So as you may have noticed, hopefully you did, uh, you see a lot of young faces serving you this morning at the doors, in the aisles, even leading us in worship. And that's because today is our Docs Takeover Sunday, where we intentionally incorporate our students into the service, giving us a chance as a church to see the work that the Lord is doing in the hearts of our students here at EBF. And given that today is our Docs Takeover Sunday, Pastor John has graciously allowed for me to occupy the pulpit this morning, and I'm deeply humbled by this opportunity, and I'm really excited to dive into the Word with you as we kick off our sermon series in the Psalms today. So before we dive into God's Word together, let's commit this time to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and Lord, we praise you for who you are. And we thank you for your grace to us, and we thank you for this church, this body of believers here that is gathered in your name this morning. And Father, we just pray that you would be glorified through the service today. You'd be glorified through our worship, Lord, that you'd be glorified through the preaching of your word. And Father, I pray that as I preach that your Holy Spirit would fill me and go before me, Lord, that we would remember your words and not mine. So, Lord, we love you and we need you, and it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So, what comes to mind when you think about the Psalms? I'm sure that many of us think about the magnificent songs of worship to the Lord that we see in the Psalms, or maybe even the proclamation of thanksgiving, giving honor and praise to the Lord for who he is and for his goodness toward his children. Or maybe for some of us, it's the psalmist's expression of deep anguish and pain, such as the desperate prayers of David where he see him crying out to the Lord as the only one who can save and sustain him. Whatever comes to your mind when you think about the psalms, I'm confident that all of us in this room are able to affirm just how deeply significant the book of Psalms is for us as believers today. And through the psalms, we get a glimpse into the heart of God, and into the heart of his people toward him. And we see directly into the human heart as we see every possible emotion, every possible expression of human emotion on the spectrum. And we're able to eavesdrop on this conversation between the Lord and the psalmist. And even further than just eavesdropping on that conversation, we're able to enter into and participate in it. And we're able to deeply identify with and relate to the writing of the psalmist, whether that is in times of worship, in times of thanksgiving, or even in times of profound loss. The book of Psalms is a vastly deep treasure for the church to explore, and we are going to embark on that journey together today. 
And that journey for us this morning begins in the opening chapter of the book, Psalm chapter 1. So if you would, please open your Bibles with me to Psalm chapter 1. And I'm going to read the first six verses again. I know we read it, but it's the Word of God, so we are going to keep reading it this morning. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. So in our initial reading of Psalm 1, we can see that one of the primary purposes of this psalm is to provide us as the people of God with wisdom and instruction as to how we are to walk in obedience to the Lord. And as has been the case throughout the Old Testament up until this point, through this obedience flows blessing. And as believers, our obedience to the Lord and his word is what sets us apart from the rest of the world. And this declaration is at the very heart of this psalm. And this is the overarching truth that I want us to walk away with this morning. This is what I want you to hear. That as the people of God, we are set apart from the world by being firmly rooted in his truth. As the people of God, we are set apart from the world by being firmly rooted in his truth. I'm going to say that for you one more time. As the people of God... We are set apart from the world by being firmly rooted in his truth. And in our time together this morning, we are going to see what it looks like for us to be truly set apart from the world and what results from us being firmly rooted in the Lord's truth. And in contrast, we will also see the realities that result for those who have rejected the Lord's truth. And so let's begin unpacking verse 1 together. In this verse, we see that as believers, we are called to forsake the ways of the world. Verse 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. The psalmist reveals to us that our lives must be in direct contrast to the world. And essentially, we see in this verse that we must not live according to the counsel of the world and therefore are not living our lives in the same manner As the world. This is to say that there must be something categorically different about the way of life of the one who follows the one true God. And in verse 2, we see the psalmist describe the traits of a true follower of the Lord. He writes, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So, what does it look like for you and I to follow in the ways of the Lord? Well, first, we can see that we are called to delight in his word. And for us as English speakers today, this word delight is not very frequent in our vocabulary, but it's very common throughout the Psalms. And so it's very important that we take note of what it means here. And in Hebrew, this use of delight can be used interchangeably with joy. 
And so this is to say that our calling is far more than simply just checking off a box in our Bible reading to-do list for the day. That's easy for all of us to do, right? This is a calling to truly delight and to take joy in the study of the Word. I'm not sure about you, but when I read this verse, it leads me to ask myself this question. Do I truly delight and take joy in studying God's Word? Do I truly delight and take joy in studying God's Word? And if I'm being honest with myself before you, sometimes the answer to this question is no. And maybe even right now, this morning for you, the answer to that question is no. And when our answer to this question is no, we must examine our hearts and ask ourselves, where am I wrongly placing my delight? And that's the question that I want to ask you this morning. Where are you wrongly placing your delight? Is your delight found in success or personal achievement? Is your delight found in material things, the things of this world? Is your delight found in the affirmation of others? These are just a few examples of things in this world that we may be tempted to place our delight in instead of placing our delight in the Lord and in his word. And it's clear from this psalm that as believers, our utmost and highest delight must be in the word of God. And this is because we recognize that as we delight in his word, we are actually delighting in the Lord himself, who reveals himself to us through his word. And in Psalm 19.10, the psalmist recognizes this by saying this of the words of the Lord, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. How often do you and I speak of the word of the Lord in this way? As a treasure, as something that is sweet to our taste, something that invokes delight within our hearts. My guess is that we probably don't speak about it or think about it very much in this way. And we're both challenged and reminded from our text this morning that we are to take joy in the study of the word because we are literally hearing from our Lord as he speaks to us through his word. And now in the second half of verse two, we see that flowing out of this delight, we are called to meditate on the word of God. And this is not just simply thinking about the truths of scripture in some abstract way. Right? This is a deep meditation. The psalmist says, meditating day and night, that these truths of Scripture would be deeply embedded in our hearts. And so it becomes clear to us now that there's a tight relationship between delight and meditation. We could even say that our meditation upon the Word is an outworking or an outflowing of our delight in it. But many of us know in this room that this is a process for us. This is a discipline of delighting and meditating upon the Word of God. It's cultivated over time, cultivated through habit. And this is something that I myself am still continuing to grow in. And even as I was preparing for this sermon, I had to go before the Lord several times and ask for Him to fill my heart with delight and diligence in meditating upon His Word. And I can testify before all of you today that the Lord met me in that prayer. And even as I was studying this passage, which itself speaks about delighting in the word, the Lord has deepened my capacity in my own heart to delight in his word. 
And so this ought to be deeply encouraging to us this morning, that as we pursue our calling to delight in the word of the Lord, he is faithful to sanctify us and to enable us to delight in and meditate upon his word. And so today, brother or sister, if you are seeing a lack of this delight in your own life, do not be discouraged. Start by running to the Lord and asking him to fill your heart with delight in studying the word. And this is a prayer that the Lord will surely honor. And so we see that as children of God, we are called to embody this delight in his word. And now we're going to see clearly what the blessing is that stems from delighting in the word of the Lord. And we see the psalmist express this blessing of the people of God through the imagery of a tree. And he says this of the righteous man. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. So why do we see the righteous being described here as a tree? What's significant about a tree? What does it typically symbolize? Well, in the book of Psalms, the imagery of a tree is very powerful, and some of the things that are often associated with this are strength, endurance, and life. And we can actually see all three of these things being used in this imagery here in Psalm 1. We see strength in the psalmist's use of the word planted. And for us to be planted, what does this imply? This implies that there is a planter. And I love what one commentator observes in this imagery of the righteous being planted. He says, Those who delight in God's law are planted as by a master gardener, in the place where they can receive the nourishment they need to flourish. That quote, one more time, those who delight in God's law are planted as by a master gardener in the place where they can receive the nourishment they need to flourish. Essentially what he's saying there is that as we delight in God's word, he plants us in a place where we are able to receive the nourishment and life that we need because These words, the words of Scripture breathed out by God, are the words of life. This is what we need to be nourished and to grow and to have life. And we see the word planted used in a very similar way later in Psalm 92, verses 12 through 13. We see that the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon, that they are planted in the house of the Lord and they flourish in the courts of our God. So we know that trees grow and flourish when they're planted in healthy soil and watered regularly, right? Well, in the same way, we as believers flourish when we are rooted in the word of God. And as believers, in verse 3, we see that this is evidenced by the bearing of fruit. Because this is the visible sign to the world as to whether or not we are, in fact, rooted in the word of God. Is there fruit being bared? And we're also informed by the psalmist that for the one who is rooted in in the word, in all that he does, he prospers. And so it's important here that we stop for a second and examine what's going on here with this prosperity. This should not be understood in the terms of earthly prosperity, in terms of wealth and success and fame. That's, That's not what's going on here. Also, what's not happening is that this is not a promise by any means that this life on the side of heaven is to be easy for the people of God. Because in fact, we know from the testimony of Scripture and the testimonies of our own lives that 
This is not the case. But instead, this prosperity is meant to be understood as godly endurance and fruitfulness that accompanies those who are rooted in the word. And so here we continue to see the overarching idea of this psalm permeating through the text, that this godly endurance and fruitfulness is a tangible witness of whether or not we are rooted in the word of God. And because that's the case, this also means that it's very evident to the world and the people around us when we are not rooted in the word of God. And so now the psalmist has set up a really strong contrast between those who are in the family of God and those who are not. And after describing the righteous through the imagery of a tree, the psalmist proclaims in verse 4, the wicked are not so. Essentially saying, in every way that the righteous were described in verse 3, the wicked are not that way. And saying, while the righteous are like a tree in verse 3, in verse 4, the wicked are declared to be like chaff that the wind drives away. So chaff is like a straw-like plant. It's very light, has almost little to no substance to it. It's very easily carried away by the wind, like dust or a feather. It has, like I said, very, very little substance to it. And this is remarkable when it's contrasted with the tree in verse 3 that is standing firm and exhibiting endurance and fruitfulness. And the stark contrast we see here is that the wicked have no roots. Why? Because they are rooted in the world as opposed to being rooted in the word of God. And as believers that are living on the other side of the New Testament, I believe that this imagery is ultimately understood for us in Jesus Christ as our vine and us being the branches that hold fast to the vine. So let's take a brief moment and look at Jesus' words to his disciples in John chapter 15. You can turn with me there or you can listen as I read verses 4 through 5. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing." So this is the fulfillment of what we see going on here in our psalm this morning. This overarching idea of being rooted in the word is ultimately expressed for us in our calling to abide in Christ. And our Lord proclaims to us, apart from me, you can do nothing. So this truth ought to deeply enter into our hearts this morning because we see that apart from the Lord, we actually are the wicked who would be blown away like chaff in the wind. So what's the practical application for us here today as the church when we look at this idea of the wicked being blown away like chaff in the wind? Just take a look at the culture around us. We can see how the culture is swayed back and forth by all of these changes that are going on. And I think specifically about um, the idea of gender and sexuality that is so fluctuating within the culture. And we see how people are being tossed to and fro by all these things that are happening. And what's even more sad in that is that we see Christian institutions, excuse me, institutions, and even churches, right, that are falling subject to these changes, that are forsaking their identity to be rooted in the word of God 
and instead are following the culture and being swept away in the wind. So EBF, this morning, I want to encourage you that we must hold fast to our identity to be those who are rooted in the word of God and not rooted in the world, to embody that imagery of the tree that is producing godly endurance and fruitfulness and that is holding fast to the hope that we have in our Lord in this life. Because apart from our Lord and through his revelation to us in his word, we know that we have no hope in this life or in eternity apart from him. And in fact, in our psalm this morning, we are now going to see this complete absence of hope for the wicked, for those who are not in the Lord. And this is building upon the fact that the wicked have chosen to reject the ways of the Lord and are living according to their own ways. And the psalmist assures us that this is met by condemnation. In verse 5, the psalmist has come full circle to again proclaim this contrast between the people of God and the world. And the psalmist repeats the language of standing that we first saw in verse 1. In verse 1, the people of God are deemed to be those who do not stand in the way of sinners. And now in verse 5, the wicked are declared to be those who will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. And so we see a dual-layered reality of standing here for the wicked. First, they will not stand in the eternal judgment of the Lord. We can understand this as surviving or enduring. We see that they will not survive the Lord's judgment because unlike the righteous, they have not taken refuge in the Lord and in his word. And secondly, we see that neither will sinners stand in the congregation of the righteous. While the righteous are given blessing for not standing in the way of sinners, the wicked are given no opportunity to stand with the righteous. Essentially, what seems to be communicated here is that from an eternal standpoint, the wicked have no inheritance with the righteous. They will not stand in the company of the righteous and ultimately will not stand in the presence of the Lord in eternity. And this reality is ultimately expressed for us in verse 6, the closing verse of this psalm. The psalmist proclaims that the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And so we see again for the final time just how vastly different this language is used for the righteous and the wicked. And when speaking of the righteous, the psalmist declares that the Lord knows. The Lord knows. And one commentator points out that this word know can more deeply mean to have an intimate relationship with. And so this affirms the Lord's posture toward those who are his, that the Lord is intimately and very closely associated with the way of those who follow in his truth. And it's also important here that we understand why the people of God are being referred to as righteous. We've heard this a few times now. And as believers, as followers of Christ, we affirm that our only righteousness is found in the true righteous one, Jesus Christ. And so this verse is a reminder to us today that the Lord will bless and keep those whose righteousness is not found in themselves, but rather is found in another that is found in him. Because we also see the result that comes for the wicked. We see that their righteousness is found in themselves. And we put righteousness in quotes there. We see that the way of the wicked will perish 
the way of the wicked will perish. And this language is the furthest from blessing. As the way of the wicked perishes, this is a display of their eternal separation from God. And we recognize that this is the same eternal destiny that you and I, that all of us in this room would face apart from the saving work of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see that the way of the wicked will perish without the Lord. But the way of the righteous, those who are rooted in his word, the Lord knows them. The Lord watches over his way and proclaims them to be his. So what do we learn from this psalm this morning? Well, we see the stark contrast that is going on here between those who are in the family of God and those who are not. And as believers, we see that we are called to forsake the ways of the world. And one representation of this is our calling to be those who delight in the law of the Lord and that on his law we would meditate day and night. And this is again where we truly encounter the overarching idea of this psalm, of Psalm 1, that as the people of God, we are set apart from the world by being firmly rooted in his truth. And in light of this reality, we also see the desperate need that all of us have for the Lord. That apart from the Lord, all of us in this room would die in our sins. And so as we are reminded of that today, as we are called to live out our lives in a way that is honoring to the Lord, by being firmly rooted in his word, we pray that in doing this, the world around us, the unbelievers would see the testimony of the Lord, would see the Lord embodied in the church, and would see the Lord embodied in our own lives, and that because of who the Lord is, that the world would come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I pray that this psalm would be a sobering reminder for all of us today to be firmly rooted in the truth of our Lord. And may that always be true of us, EBF. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your word that nourishes our soul, Lord, that gives us strength. And Lord, where you meet us, where we can hear directly from you. So we thank you for your word, Lord, and we pray that as we go forward in this week, that we would be reminded of our identity and of our responsibility to be rooted in the truth of your word. We pray that this would be true of us this week, Lord. We depend on you, and it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.